Hi, I'm Sam Smeltzer, and I'm an HR healer, and you're listening to The Heart of It Podcast, where we chat about what's at the heart and matters most in the world of HR, the people. In this episode, I'm joined by special guest Dr. Benjamin Ritter. He's a leadership and career coach, leadership development, and talent management consultant with Live For Yourself Consulting. Take a listen as he describes his perspective and experience with pursuing passion. You'll learn why he describes it as a personal poison, as well as why we need to embrace self-leadership as we vision a post-pandemic world. So glad you're here. Enjoy the conversation. Let's go. Hello there, and welcome to this episode of the Heart of It podcast. I am so excited that you're taking time out of your day to tune in and listen to this episode, and you really are in for a treat, because today I'm joined by Dr. Benjamin Ritter, who's a leadership and career coach, a leadership development and talent manager consultant, and he's the owner of Live For Yourself Consulting. Uh, Ben, you want to take a moment and say hello to the listeners? Hello, hello, everyone. And just forewarning, my cat might say hello at some point, too. She's she's basking on the heating pad because it actually snowed in Austin yesterday. Um, so she, she just sometimes dreams. And if she says hi, I hope everyone also just gets a little kick out of that. Yeah, we will happily take cat daydreaming. Like, it's the perfect time for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope everyone is just taking some time. I know if, if, if people are still shut in or they're working from home, I think most of us are, that, uh, you know, maybe you take a little cat nap every now and then. Maybe you do do, do some self-care and bask and be lazy and have some, have some fun, wrap yourself in a blanket, because I think we all need a little bit more of that right now. I uh, couldn't agree more. Last week, we got away, whatever that means in today's, which is basically renting a Airbnb in another place to be alone. <laughs> um, but I basically spent the whole week taking cat naps and it was like the most wonderful thing to be able to just check out in the middle of the afternoon um, and really nourish my body that way. I think we underestimate rest and how beneficial it is for all of us. Oh yeah, there's so much. I'm doing an event on burnout in the coming weeks and there are so many like foreboding signs of it and one of them is just overwhelming fatigue and and being tired and it's just a sign that you need to honor that and take a break and rest and especially with everything that's going on in the world if i think more more and more so and i'm sure we're going to get into this the you know the overwhelming amount of work as it increases the overwhelming amount of micromanagement and it's just like no 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 take a step back make more space like if if I think now more than ever, we need to start saying no to things and start making more space for those cat naps and those breaks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my mantras going into this year and was last year as well is that less is more and really trying to embrace that, which is totally counterintuitive to what we're taught to be successful, um, which uh, takes me into where I want to start with you because I'm really excited to have this conversation Uh, And I think that when I talked to you, Ben, when we were planning, you made mention of this. You said something along the lines that we basically were kind of like kindred spirits and we connected on so many levels. And then I told Ben that in prep, I was, I like to stalk my guests so I can find little nuggets about them. Um, And I read on his about page, and this, this is, I'm going to read this from your about page um, that basically tells your story on how you got to where you were. But the, the first paragraph. You say that you found your purpose and went for it, but in the process of going for it, 
You didn't care about anything or anyone else, and then you failed. Your tunnel vision led you down a path that ignored your personal and professional health. You missed out on creating positive and strong relationships, on learning how to be social in different situations, and how to choose the right partners, and how to make the right choices for your life overall. This truly was a low point, highlighted um, highlighted how important mindset and harmony were in just feeling good and fulfilled with yourself and motivated you to dive deep into the fields of interpersonal development, mental health, social psychology, and work towards self-improvement. You had enough of feeling the way that you did and it needed to change. Um, you needed to change. Um, when I read that, and obviously when you read it, it's all in I statements, because uh, it's your story. Um, but it really resonated with me because that pretty much word for word could be described where I was at a point in my journey um, where I was so driven by success and by purpose that I disregarded everything else. Um, and now I'm spending a lot of time healing and trying to listen uh, to my body and undo what I did all that time on this success path where I thought I was doing this really powerful kind of purpose. Um, and so I do think that you and I are kindred spirits, the path that led you your work has uh, gone into different areas of fields, but very similar in nature. Um, and so it's it's just always nice to connect with someone who is, you know, kind of fighting the good fight of what we wish we were taught so long ago. So can you just speak a little bit more about your path and your journey um, and how you got to where you are? Because well, there's lots of leadership coaches and career coaches out there, but your path to getting there um comes it's just it's it's very filled with humility and uh vulnerability uh which i think completely impacts the work and how you approach it well thank you and i have a really hard time talking about purpose because the way that it impacted my life i defined it as purpose but it wasn't really purpose if that makes any sense it was this dedication and commitment and obsession to achieve something over all else and where it overwhelmed my desire to be social over it, it dictated all of my decisions and so like when i reflect back on that 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 was just a misguided definition of what purpose is and and what purpose should be used for and how we should work towards a purpose and what role it should play in our life but the only way that I know how to define it so other people might be able to reflect on it, because hopefully, you know, maybe they're going through what I went through, is to define it as purpose. And it was a it was a really, really low, it was the lowest point in my life, to I mean, to be frank. And when I failed, which I'm happy that I did, I had no actual identity. I I didn't know who I was, because who I was was what I was working for, towards, and what I was working towards is now gone, and so all of a sudden now I'm left with nothing. And I'm left with the the repercussions of and the consequences of dedicating my life to something and ignoring everything else for, for years upon years upon years, along with the, the mental uh, the, the mental and physical consequences of really working towards something, not achieving it. So then the, the lack of self-confidence and the strengthening of your inner critic gets to a level where you start almost hating yourself in a way. And so that was a very, very low point in my life. But that, that low point motivated me to 
learn how to get out of it. And I think, you know, you can go, you can go down or you can go up. And I'm lucky that I took that high achiever mentality and I rededicated it almost to, to an obsessive, kind of almost like a new purpose in a way, but it was, I didn't define it as purpose to just grow and to develop and define who I was and to explore. Instead of being dedicated towards one thing, I became dedicated to myself. And I think that's why I preach self-leadership so much nowadays. Uh, it's kind of what I base everything that I do off of because I don't think anything else really matters other than your own exploration, your own curiosity, your own growth, your own interest in the world, your own values, and very much about living a value-aligned life. And at that point in my life, my new commitment was to exploring and growing and identifying who I was, and to actually understand what happened. I think, you know, during that time, I, I went around and, and, well, four or five years later, when I actually decided to share my story, I went around talking about purpose and really just actually saying that you know, find your purpose was the worst advice that I ever that I ever received in my entire life. And I was bashing purpose in a way where I said, well, if if there is like, even to the point where if there is an afterlife, then purpose is meaningless because there's so much more in the world than what you truly think you, could, you should care about. And if there isn't an afterlife, then nothing really matters because there's nothing afterwards. So why does it really matter if you dedicate your life towards a purpose? Like I went around just basically telling people, forget purpose, forget purpose. What are your values? What do you care about? What do you find fulfillment and enjoy working towards each and every single day? And then how do you work towards it? And not for achieving something, but just for the aspect of enjoying your life and being present. Uh, and so that's a, a long story about purpose in itself. Um, but after I spent those like four or five years just really exploring who I was, pushing myself to my limit, challenging myself, not actually thinking there was one right path, actually exploring all paths, uh, I serendipitously met somebody who said, like you, I know what you're doing. Um, I love your ideas. Do you want to come coach for us? And so that led to me coaching uh, across the United States for a year, just randomly. Like I, I, I had no desire to become a coach. And I tell people today, like, I still don't know if I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be a coach, even though I'm coaching. Uh, because again, it's just an application of, of my interests and what I value in terms of giving back and empowering individuals. Uh, because when I was doing that, when I was coaching for a year for this company, I was also pursuing my, I, I just, I finished my graduate degrees. I got an MBA and an MPH. I was looking at public health policy positions that led me to work in healthcare. Uh, but coaching kept popping up. Like I ended up receiving a federal grant from the maternal and child health department uh, for six months of free life coaching. So I received coaching. Uh, when I was working in healthcare, they selected me for 16 months of leadership training where I got paired up with the director of people in our organization. And so when I hit a point in my career where I was really questioning my work, I was questioning what I was doing, why I was doing it. I was really unhappy. To be honest, I was working as a healthcare executive. I had a side hustling business, uh, but I wasn't happy. And, and that's mainly because I got to that point in my career due to just reacting to opportunities that came up. Like um, my career was born from the recession of like 2009, 10, 11. And so a lot of the opportunities that I wanted to 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 do uh, basically just didn't happen. Like I received actually a, a job from the CDC. I received a job from the Illinois Department of Public Health is where I wanted to work. And they were all canceled after signing the contracts just due to federal funding. So I was kind of floating for a while in my career. And I ended up in healthcare. I didn't really want to be in healthcare. I ended up loving it. But then I got promoted to be an executive. And so all the meaning for my work disappeared. And I expected the organization to give me meaning. And this resulted in me just be me being really unhappy. 
And I can remember going into work one day, and I, I say this in my story, but I was just, I felt like the world was just on my, like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. I was talking, I don't know if you ever do this, but I was talking to myself like, oh, I can't believe I have to go do this. I hate everyone I work with. I hate the work that I do. It's meaningless. I can't wait to get out of this job. And I was just like, I was basically dragging a mountain of disdain behind me going into work. I was like my worst enemy. And I looked up and every single person that I would pass by, because I could walk to work, it was that close, it was that good of a job. Uh, Everyone that I was passing by looked the same way. We all just looked like meandering zombies that were, that literally like we were dealing with the apocalypse. Like it was the worst thing in the world that we had to go into this job that we had. And that hit me. As someone that focused on personal and professional development, that really hit me. It woke me up. And I started asking myself, like, what do I really want to do? What do I care about? What am I passionate about? What challenges do I want to face? Now that we're not in the midst of reacting to opportunities, how do I create the next opportunities for myself? And you know, that led me to really identify that I wanted to work with high achievers like myself. I wanted to work in the professional development space. And so I started plotting out how to do that. And that there's a whole other story, but I'll, I'll pause here for a second because that that moment in time led me to founding my own company and getting my doctorate and then to this conversation today. Yeah. I, um, I love that story that you talk about when you're walking down the street and you realize that <laughs> everyone else is kind of in the same boat. I mean, because um, for me, that was exactly the reason why I am in HR and not just in leadership. And one of the pivotal moments that I had, I was sitting in an employee break room for an organization that I thought I would be with and retire with. And I realized that all these people who had been with this organization for 10 to 20 years, like were sitting there on their break, completely miserable, like maybe telling little bit jokes, but just so unhappy and I'm like, how can, how do you get there? And is there anyone that can make a difference? And that's when I started to learn about the potential that HR had to access personal and professional development, all these things that we could do, because I happened to be going for my undergraduate degree at the same time. But it was just that, once again, this, this kind of right time that everything kind of laid out for me to see it. Um, but it's amazing how we see those things when we're in those low points, Um when we finally can embrace the stillness long enough to wake up and realize what's happening around us. Yeah. And I mean, I'm very honest about this. I was my worst enemy. If, if I know now, like if, if I knew then what I know now, I might not be here today because making the most of where you're at, crafting your job to be best fit for you, understanding that you create meaning, not your employer, your organization, uh, and building career capital, like building relationships around you, taking advantage of them so that your career journey is is basically supported by every, everything that you do, that you're not wasting time. Like I, I was not doing that. I did not have those lessons. And so even like when I work with clients today in, in the leadership and career coaching space, just no matter where they want to go, it's always, let's talk about where you are. Let's try to actually see the the other side of things. Because right now you've been telling yourself a story that is, is, you're playing the victim and you are actually hurting your career more than helping it right now. And that's what I was doing. I mean, it did motivate me to get to where I am today, but I, I work with a lot of people that also want to create their own businesses. And 
they're all coming, like a lot of them are like VPs or directors. And so they're coming with all this career capital and all these relationships. And I didn't have that because I purposefully distanced myself from everyone that I was working with. I purposely made a point to not create the relationships that could have helped me to work, you know, get to where I wanted to go with my business. And like, that is such an asset to individuals that are like every single person you meet and every single person you work with is such a valuable uh, resource because no, like where else in, in your life do you work with people every single day? Who else could be a greater uh, reference or recommendation or testament to your capabilities? And I think often when people don't like their jobs, they just put up these walls and they push those people away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's amazing when you talk about how you push so many people away. Cause I was, um, right before we hit the record button was talking about how impressed I am about your reach and, and your impact now. Um, and I think that speaks a lot to the shift that you had. And I, I also love the term that you use self-leadership and, and the drive that's there. Uh, cause for me, that was a hundred percent transformative when someone, uh, I had a, a psychologist, I felt like she shook me, but she probably should have, uh, to make it even more impactful, but really made sure that I understood that it wasn't about some magical destination that I was basically killing myself for, that it is about the journey. And until I can sit there in the present moment and be fully there, um, like I'm not really going to be of service. And that's really what our purpose is, is to be of service and to be in the moment in the interactions and all the relationships that are there. And so to watch you talk about a time when you resisted and and were not in that element, and then when you finally stepped into it, and then to see the results of that, I mean, they kind of speak for themselves. Um, But it's, it's amazing. So. um, Yeah, I mean, your, your next job, your next promotion, your first client, no matter what it is, it's going to come from your immediate circle. And you either have one or you don't. And, and you have, you have one that trusts you and believes in you and reaches out to you and that you, you have nurture consistently or you don't. And you save yourself a lot of time if you have that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this self-leadership I think is really critical to the discussion that I want to have with you today. Um, because I think the mere fact that it is lacking, that approach is a lacking uh, across our culture overall is kind of what's causing this, the challenges that we're facing in a traditional leadership sense. Um, so I don't think it's any surprise to anyone that our climate has has changed. The work environment did a drastic shift and did things that we never thought were ever going to be possible. I mean, things that are happening, I remember fighting with execs for years We're never going to have to encounter that. There's never any way we're going to have to make everyone go remote. There's never any way that we would do that much work on our line. So things that people never thought were possible are happening, and we've proven that they are possible. But then as far as the gap in management and leadership to guide through that process, you no longer have the comfort of the office and the normal office politics that we've used and built ourselves on. So... What are you seeing? How how has this climate changed the way that we need to manage and lead our teams? What's the biggest difference with these executives, leaders, and even HR managers connecting with people? Um, what is the biggest change that's happened as a result of what's happening in the world? Mm-hmm. And just quickly to comment on the concept of self-leadership. So often, so often I, I work with 
clients that just forget that they are in control of their career and how they show up each and every single day. And so really self-leadership is what do you want to create and how are you working towards it within your, within your job? And I mean, you can go into work and be happy or unhappy. That's on you. That's not on your boss. That's not on, that's, that's not on the organization. And in this specific day and age, there's more opportunity, I think, than ever to create your own schedules, to have certain boundaries, to raise your hand and say, I want to do this type of work or to create a new position and kind of um, almost like this gig economy now where organizations are allowing employees to craft their jobs to be more aligned with who they are. And if you're a leader, you need to also empower your employees to do that, to be their own self-leaders because Again, like you said, we don't have the office where you can see someone just kind of being out of it. You don't you don't have an office where you see someone not coming in on time. You don't see it, so you're you're missing out on a lot of visual cues and, and even just random conversations that let you know how your how your employees are doing. So you need now even more than ever to empower them to approach you with that information. And you need to you need to approach them and build their trust so that they do feel empowered to give you that information. Because like you said, we don't have the same channels of communication that we used to have. Uh, one of the biggest changes that I see in the workplace is just a lack of understanding on what remote work entails, if that, if that makes sense. And so a lot of companies have been doing this for a while, but a lot of companies haven't. They've had to make this quick transition. And so you have a lot of leaders that don't know how to lead remote. A lot of organizations that don't know how to prepare their employees to work remote. And so you see a lot of over overcompensation, I would say, with a lack of preparation. So it's let's have too many meetings. Let's over communicate. Let's tell you that we're here for you. But over like really what we're doing is overwhelming you. And then at the same time, we're not like preparing our employees to actually work remote in a way that is efficient and easy. So I'm not giving them webcams. I'm not helping them with, with uh, microphones. I'm not giving them training on how to appear uh, through video. I'm not telling them what our boundaries are in terms of communication. If we're using like teams or Slack or email. So now how are we communicating? And, and basically all of the standards that I think an employee might be used to has changed and the organization, I don't think, has re, have have a lot of the organizations I'm seeing haven't retrained for that for this new space. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, I don't know if they know what to train on. I mean, I think the assumption was you find a way to give a computer and phone access and maybe send a camera if you could find one at a period of time because we had a shortage, um, and then they just pick up and do what they did in the office. But it's a completely different environment when someone is working from home. Um, and working from home is different from every different person. Me personally, I'm trapped in a house with a financial advisor husband who's extremely loud on all of his phone calls that don't stop all day. And uh, I have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old that are doing virtual school and having recess every hour running through the house. And then I have other colleagues who are single and they're at home. And but they're also alone and, and isolated. And so if there's no communication happening, um, they're getting no kind of social interaction. So I think we severely underestimated what was happening as a result when we transitioned home. And I wholeheartedly agree with you. There was no training done for remote work 
and what that needed to look like to be truly productive and effective. I don't see or hear managers and leaders asking their employees what is going on. And I, I, before all this happened, I would do a lot of in-person workshops on the team model of managing to motivate, motivate. And it's a leadership style basically that gives leaders a template to have a conversation with their employees to figure out what they like to work on, what resources they need, what issues they're having with customers or with, or with coworkers or with themselves. And it helps curate the, the environment around them to best suit them. And I think we need, it, it's a very humanistic style of leadership. And I think now more than ever, a, a version of that needs to occur. Like if I was a leader right now and had a bunch of direct reports, I would, I would question them and ask them, like, what, what struggles are you having right now? What is your ideal workday? What seems to be getting in the way of that? And really try to empower them to make that happen for themselves. Because yes, people right now, homeschooling, partners working right next to them. Uh, and then not, not only the pressures from the external environment, but internally as an individual, your employees are going, oh no, my dog barked in the background. Am I going to get in trouble? Oh no, I, I didn't respond to the, the, the 8 p.m. email. Am I going to get in trouble? Uh, because someone's awake at 10 p, you know, 8, 9, 10 p.m. at night and they're responding to messages and, and because they can, because they're working from home. So again, like, what are the cultural expectations of your job now? And as a leader, we, you need to define those so that people aren't, they're not, they're not creating more and more pressure for themselves. And too often, no one's going to communicate that forward, right? This idea of self-leadership. Like the employees aren't going to tell you that they're they're worried that their kid wants to come into the room, but they're going to be worrying about their kids, so they're not going to be paying attention to the meeting anymore. So do you create that cultural expectation that like, hey, it's okay to have your kids on camera. It's totally fine. Just please mute. Like that's, to you, you need to go off video and be on the phone because you need to go feed your, your one-year-old. That's awesome. That's fine. That's acceptable. And I, I don't see that. I don't, I don't see that happening enough. Yeah. And I think those are great things for people to make note of if those are not happening in your organization or with your leadership right now as HR, we can coach them to do that. And and you're not alone. All of us were in shock and uh, nobody really got this right first time around. We were reacting uh, because we weren't planned for this. And how do we move forward and how do we help um, our teams and the people who work for us be successful? And I I'm saddened by the fact that SHRM, who is our great national entity for HR, there was a series of articles that they put out about these people having to quit their jobs because they expressed what they need to their employer and that they were so overwhelmed with life when they had to come and work from home and the employer refused to hear anything. When I say employer, I mean leader who had these conversations refused to hear and just kept pounding the work that they had no other choice but to resign from their position. Um, and so we really need to listen right now and have a level of empathy that respects the diversity that makes all of us different. And I mean that using that term very loosely as to what makes all of us unique individuals um, yeah. and being mindful of that. I do see that fear of, well, if I don't respond to my boss at 9 p.m., then I'm going to lose my job. Or if I tell them that from noon to two, I need to be sitting with my preschooler 
on, you know, on Zoom to keep them in their seat, I'm going to lose my job. That, that is a, a fear that I think more often than not is, is not founded in reality, but at times it could be. And so managing your approach with like what you need and how you communicate it, I think is fairly important. And it's not, it's not a, this is what I need or I'm gone conversation. It's the, this is what I'm dealing with right now. How do we come up with solutions for it and towards it? And so you always approach whenever you lead up, you always approach the person that you're trying to persuade or speak to uh, through the lens of a mentor or guide and help them nudge them towards the solutions that you truly want. Like, and also you can create champions and go to your peers and have conversations. And when there's 10 people at the table instead of one, all saying that they need something, that's pretty powerful because an organization, I mean, I don't care what people tell you or unemployment's high or low, whatever. An organization does not want to lose people. An organization for sure right now, especially if they're low on resources, can't afford to lose people. And when more than one person comes to the table, you have some negotiating power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, one of the trends that I saw as we moved uh, that, you know, I think that there's these like leadership management kind of monsters that emerge in certain situations that uh, certain people just don't know that they have them or they think they have them tamed and they figured out in our typical work environment. But this new stress just caused them to freak out. And one of them is, is micromanagement, um, which I know has always been there. And there's some people who struggle with this and I've worked with those individuals, but more now than ever, we're seeing it as a tactic used to prove productivity for remote workers. So much so that I've seen all kinds of hacks on how to keep your mouse moving. So you're never idle on Microsoft teams or whatever chat software, uh, I've heard about, uh, I haven't looked at these softwares, but ones where they have to log like in minutes, like attorneys of what they are doing. Um, and so we went extreme. Like this was, I, I would say for a lot of companies, this was the first investment. We're going to shift them all home and then we're going to look at ways to make sure that we can watch them to ensure that they're being productive. Um, and I get it. We have those, that 10% that maybe are not doing what they should be doing that take a lot of our time. Uh, but for the most part, we have good people. And if you take a high performer and you're doing this to a high performer, um, what is that, what does that do to them or their mentality? What, what happens to a high performer when they're being exposed to this scrutiny or this micromanagement? And also what does this speak to, um, healthy work boundaries or maybe what we should be making sure that we establish, uh, in regards to just keeping our top performers motivated and with us for retention. This idea that an employer needs to get the most out of their employee is kind of mind boggling because let's just say we're talking about salaried employees. You're not paying them for their time. You're paying them for their expertise. And unless you want to pay them for their time then give them a pay increase, but if you're paying them for their, for their expertise and they're getting their work done, that's all that matters. And if you have a high achiever, like you, are you going to punish them because they can get their work done in two hours instead of six? Like, isn't that why you value them? 
And so what you need to do is if, if you have that micromanagement, what you're doing is you're, you're taking away the trust and the which would lead to communication of, hey, I have some more time. I want to do some more work. You're not actually hitting on the right, the, the, the right uh, aspects of motivation. And you could be losing out on productivity instead of actually gaining it. Like I remember uh, I was playing soccer during like it was midweek and it was like afternoon time. And one of the guys we were playing with said, okay, guys, I have exactly 60 minutes. Uh, right now I have a mouse like activating my chat, you know, my, my, my computer at home, but I have to get back within like an hour or something. I was like, it, it is, it is mind boggling the lengths that people go to to show that they're active when they're good employees and they're getting their work done. And the guy just wants to play some soccer midday like, and get some physical activity. He's not not doing work. I'd much rather know that he was playing soccer and say, go have some fun. I know you're going to be offline for the next hour. So if we have, something comes up, I know who I need to contact. And then that person acting like they're online. Uh, and how, like, what would that person think, too, of the organization that said, yeah, go play some soccer. That's great. If we have something, we'll get back to you. How much better would they feel about their organization? So instead of instead of building a community of trust, you've now built a community of lies and, and negativity and fear. That that is that is not what you want your culture to be like in your organization. And so this this level of micromanagement can can actually poison the culture of an organization without even meaning to, with thinking that you're covering your bases. And so there must be other ways to track productivity. There must be other ways to, to track the work of, of your employees. And, you know, I was recently doing some contract work too for an organization that was making their employees plot, like you said, every 30 minutes of their time into a spreadsheet, a calendar. How much time are they wasting doing that? And, and what is, what is, again, like what does that create for you culture-wise? Because... I'll tell you, with all these cuts that have recently happened, anytime I'm working with a, a client and they're discussing that their organization is doing a like a business continuity spreadsheet of some kind, like they're figuring out what everybody is doing at any certain, you know, any given time and what the supports are and what the deliverables are, that that has made people believe that there are going to be cuts. So if you are if you are focusing on micromanagement and ensuring that you know what everyone is doing at any given point in time, you're creating a culture of fear within your organization. And right now, that's not what we need. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And fear uh, will shut down and basically make it impossible for people to show up at their best. They're never going to show up at their best. And you're never going to have innovation. Um, fear shuts all of that down. And I appreciate you using the terms that you use to say, well, this is the culture that you're creating because it's true. But I think we need to hear that. Like you're asking people to lie. You're putting them in situations um, where they are basically building a huge culture of not trusting. Um, I will never forget my business partner. She does sometimes recruiting contracts and she had to interview a young man who um, was terminated from his last position. And she asked, can you be honest with me what happened? And he shared basically how he felt 
necessary to lie to his employer. Um, otherwise, there was really no way out. And it was in regards to COVID and where he had been and if he was being able to keep his job. It was just the way that they had set up the, the, the dynamics. It was kind of an impossible lose-lose situation for him. But it was just fascinating because she could hear it very clearly. She was like, I can't argue with him. I feel like if I was in the same situation, I would lie. <laughs> and so if you're making good people be put in that position, um, are you really wanting to, to create that? And I've, I've said so many times as we've gone through this change, when people roll out things to organizations, so was there anybody in the room that was talking about the fact that we're dealing with humans and that these are people that we are putting in these processes? And like, what would you feel like if you were experiencing that? Because it, it's really that simple as to say, how would you feel if you felt like you had to swirl your mouth the whole entire time, if you had to plot every 30 minutes and prove your value? Because um, you don't do that when you're in the office. And I can make an argument as as a consultant. I am much more productive now than I ever was when I was in my corporate job. <laughs> and I probably work about the same amount. The only difference was I was chained to a desk there. So you just saw me sitting in a chair for longer than <laughs> what I do now. So um, one thing that I want to ask you um, before we close out this episode, you know, one of the things that I've really been passionate about in my work is realizing that when I'm focusing on employee engagement, one of the core reasons why we are struggling as HR practitioners to move the needle is because we are disengaged. You know, I talked about your story resonating with me because that's where I was and I was an HR practitioner. I was the one that was supposed to be navigating organizational culture change and wanting to motivate other people yet I was in and I would categorize it the same as you. It was one of the lowest points of my life if not the. I mean I was on that path. How do we, you know, if I'm bought in, I like what you're saying about self-leadership and curiosity and exploration. How do I take that concept and do something today to make sure that I keep myself engaged in my work, that I choose to make my, I do what I need to do to show up to make sure that my position works for me rather than, because I know HR, there's a lot of my colleagues who think the organization should deliver and it, it's a partnership. We both got to show up 50, 50. Um, so what would you say to those people? How do we stay where we need to be so we can do this work? Uh, because we're needed to, to help people. Just like in any relationship that we're in, like if you're making the choice to stay in that relationship, you also have to make the choice to accept the relationship for what it is. And often when someone is unhappy with work, it's because they're telling themselves a story that it is not where they want to be. And so I'd say, first off, if you're going to stay here, then let's accept the fact that you're going to stay here. Let's accept that this is where you're choosing to be. And let's accept the fact that you can now tell yourself a different story about what you're experiencing. And I think just the negativity that we choose to bring into our life from judgments of the people we're working with, judgments of the organization, the disdain for the work that we have to do, all we're doing is just creating this a cloud of negativity around us. So the first thing just, and I know it may be hard to say, like tell yourself every story that you're telling yourself right now, every judgment of your coworker or leader that is negative, like that just needs to stop. You need to let go of it. You need to start fresh and you need to go, well, what could that person be dealing with? 
Why might they be acting like that? What, what might they be struggling with? Or this work that I'm doing that I really don't like, that I think is ridiculous. Why, why is this currently in place? What benefit does this have for the organization? And so really just trying to flip the script on some of your stories, I'd say that has to be the first thing that we do. So if you want an activity, I'd write down all the negative stories that you're telling yourself on a daily basis at work and then try to reframe them in a way of, if I didn't believe this and, and believe the, like, the positive aspect of this, what would that story be? And then start telling yourself that. Uh, that'd be the first step. Um, the other thing that I would suggest is... Uh, I. I do free webinars and workshops on an on a idea called the career sweet spot. And it's basically a really simple way to craft your job to be best fit for you at any given time. And so that requires you to know what you're good at, like what you're, what you're skilled at, because this brings confidence. What you're passionate about, what impact you want to create in the world, because that leads to motivation and a little bit more fulfillment. And, and then also what challenges you want to face. And that helps you feel like you're making progress, helps you feel like you're on the right path. It gives you a little bit more clarity in terms of your career path overall. And to take some time and really explore those three different categories and start saying, well, how can I mold my job in a, little, in a, in a way? Who do I need to create relationships with at work? Uh, what projects do I need to raise my hand for? What projects do I need to stop doing? Um, how do I need to start re-perceiving the work that I'm doing in a way that matters to me, that I feel I'm actually making an impact and is meaningful? And you can, again, self-leadership, you have the control to do these things. You just need to raise your hand. You just need the information to take action on them. And then just choose one or two things to work on every, every single week. And eventually your job will start forming to who you are. You'll start to be a little bit happier. You'll remind yourself that this is a choice that you're making on a daily basis. And hopefully you're just, you'll feel better about the work that you do. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love how you like <laughs> took that whole process and you just put it out simply because it is, I mean, it's all based off a of choice and you have a hundred percent control. Um, I will tell you that this is why, um, Ben has the work that he does because it's a lot easier when someone's there guiding you down that path. I know because I still to this day have a coach who has to help me get out of my stories. We all have them. Um, and, you know, he's absolutely correct. You have to get to a place where you're able to drop all those judgments and have a transparency when you look at people around you. And if you're unable to do that yourself, then you need to seek resources to make that happen. Um, and really, if you're going to choose and accept that you're going to stay this is the work that you need to do and i would i would be i'm tempted to say you're required to do if you truly want to be of service in your role um so i um yeah i think that that's wonderfully said thank you yeah just to add a little final bit on it often i like talking about relationships because it's just everyone has relationships i'm often Sometimes people stay in relationships hoping that they're going to change. Or, um, so they have half, like one foot out, one, one foot in. Maybe this is going to be great. And this idealistic version of what it's going to be. Uh, but they don't actually control the other person. With a job, kind of different. You actually do control the work that you do. You're the one doing it. And you, you may not control the organization, but you do control your role. And you control how you show up and how you act and the work that you volunteer for and the relationships that you build. And so it's a pretty unique, awesome situation that we have at work. That I don't think that we take advantage of enough. And, you know, again, sometimes people have this idea that I'll get something else soon. I'll, 
I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm going to get something else soon. And they're just not taking advantage of an opportunity that's in front of them to build greater career capital, better relationships that are ultimately just going to help you in the long run. So please, 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 anyone that's listening, ask yourself, how do I take advantage of where I'm at and be a little bit more present each and every single day and add a little bit more joy? Because if, you, if, if, you're, choosing, if you're choosing to be unhappy, you know, at least be aware that that's a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all a choice. I think it's sometimes a very hard pill to swallow when you have to accept with, accept that and sit with that. But you're 100% right. There's um, a popular book out there. I forget who wrote it, but it's called The First 90 yeah. Days. It's meant for leaders. But there's a whole chapter in there about how to have a, basically a coaching conversation with your boss on five different levels to get what you need. Um, and I thought it's one of the most pivotal things that I've ever taught uh, leaders because it not only tells you like your boss does not dictate everything you have to go and make an argument for what you need so that you can do your job successfully and to craft the position and the legacy that you want to leave behind um but i know that i was never taught that anywhere else until i read that book which was when i was designing and developing a course for supervisory training and it was like mind-blowing but i think we need more of that you have so much control um, when it comes to your career more so than it is with a relationship and that's a great uh, analogy is when you think about if you're going to stay with someone or not stay with someone, you can't change the other person, but you can, you can restructure your position. And a lot of HR positions, I would argue, need that restructuring because they were created from a person who doesn't understand what the HR function is actually capable of um, when it comes to organizational culture change and how we can really truly lead and manage people. Well, um, as always, the time goes way too fast on these episodes and, and uh, I could totally keep going really deep and, and getting in, and picking your brain on all kinds of things. But uh, do you have any final words that you want to share with the listeners before we say our goodbyes? I'll take this all the way back to the purpose conversation and something that I've been saying a lot lately. And I actually I'm writing a book, a new book, finally. And I worked on a story yesterday about purpose specifically. And uh, it's really just this concept that you are the God of your purpose. You're the creator of your purpose. I think often we tend to flip that script. Our purpose is, is the higher power, but that doesn't make sense. Right? We've created it ourselves. And so often we put things ahead of our own health, our own well-being, and I'd say, like, again, self-leadership. You are the creator of everything in your life. Treat yourself that way. Put yourself first at all times. That's a, a great final note. And um, I wish that I could echo it more because I think it is the truth. And um, I hope it is the future of what we embrace as professionals rather than what has historically been the norm. I also hope that whenever you finish that book, that you come back and share it with us here on the Heart of It podcast, because I'm sure that it will be right up our alley. Um, and I cannot wait to see what you have there. Um, but thank you so much for your time today. It's been truly a pleasure. And um, feel free to come back anytime. You're officially a part of the Heart of It thank family. Thank you so much for bringing me, uh, bringing me in as part of the family. And if anyone would like to learn about me or find out more about me, please just go to liveforyourselfconsulting.com. Find me on LinkedIn. Let's have a conversation. Uh, I love conversations like this and I've loved our conversation. 
Awesome. And all of those links for Ben will be in the show notes. So make sure you check them out there. If you love this podcast episode, make sure you leave a review on whatever is your favorite listening platform. Thank you so much for listening today. And I'll catch you in the next episode. 